In this episode, I speak with Emily Hightower. She's the founder and resiliency coach at Intrinsic Way. She's also a coach uh, collaborating with Shift Adapt on her uh, stress, or excuse me, skill of stress course. Um, In our conversation with Emily, we talk about her um, training in a variety of backgrounds, uh, both fitness, nutrition, and breath work that she's been able to use as a way to aid people with various traumas. So she works in the trauma healing, uh, both some with uh, mental and psychological uh, challenges, as well as those in the military. And she's been able to leverage these uh, diverse background and, and use outdoor activities such as archery to work with one's state and integrating breath work with that. And so we have a really engaging conversation on being able to use breath as a way to manage uh, stress, trauma, and developing resiliency in oneself. With me today is Emily Hightower, founder and resilience coach at Intrinsic Way. Uh, where Emily and team equip and empower high performers, first responders, and those who have trauma exposure to come ready, empowered, and rested to handle stress. So Emily, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. I'm looking forward to digging into what you're doing at Intrinsic Way um, around managing stress and leveraging breath as kind of one of the core tenets, as I understand it. And uh, But before we kind of dig into kind of the mission and, and some of the things you're doing there, maybe a little bit of background on how you got to this point. Um, based on my reading, it seems like you have a pretty diverse background. Hmm. Um, very cool background. I'd love to hear more about it. Sure. Uh, the premise comes from my own trauma healing. And what I've learned over the years is that we have to participate in our process and not necessarily make demands of that process in order to optimize well-being. Um, so whether that's for performance or healing trauma, it's all the same, really. You know, you're going to bump into limits if you're an athlete. If you have unresolved trauma patterns, those are going to affect your breath, your nutrition, your sleep. And if you have, you know, come into the work through trauma, um, Sometimes it's performance that helps ignite change and motivation to change behavior. So uh, that's why I work with such a diverse group is because I love working with people at an edge and we all have the same physiology. So it really doesn't matter what your story is or what your background is. If a niche has found the work to be useful, uh, I dive in and grow it from there. So Awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to, to the point on similar fit physiology is, you know, some of the catalysts are the same, but how we respond is differently. Yes. Uh, and it's, but even in those responses, we collate really legible patterns with things like anxiety, uh, for example, which is so rampant right now. It's an easy one for everyone to relate to. Yeah. The response is actually pretty similar. The way we think about it might be unique and our stories are valid and unique that push us into these edges of our stress tolerance. But I'd I'd actually say that the response is where we have a lot of similarities, that heart rate, our breath rate, our gripping, nonspecific tension, 
Um, very legible changes in our physiology are common across the board. And that's where we have some intrinsic power in navigating the body's response instead of the mind's tendency to puzzle over the story. Um, so what are the, some of the practices you use at Intrinsic Way to kind of as an individual, you know, acknowledge where they are when it comes to stress load or, or what's affecting them and their response to that. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, basically, how do we do this work? How do we get into it? You know, everyone, the breath became my favorite doorway because that was the tool that had the most profound impact in my own healing of trauma. And I noticed through breath work, um, I'm trained in pranayama breath work and breath is medicine and the art of breath and a few other, you know, modes of, of deep restorative breath techniques. And the basis is that the breath plays on the nervous system and reminds us that there is no disconnect between the body and the mind. Even the term mind body is kind of hilarious. There, there's no difference. You have intelligence in every cell. And the breath gives us a chance to uh, engage with the body in the moment because breath is more severely important than any other system. You know, it's airway first. Um, and then, so once we get into the breath physiology, I train people to read their state and reconnect to the body's messages. And that step alone needs to be reinforced throughout the work. It's really a lifetime of taking our culture, which is so fixated on the mind and achievements and outcomes, and shifting into the body in present time, where the reactions to the stories, real or imagined, are living. And then once we're reading our condition of our nervous system, then there are tremendous teachings in body mechanics for stress and state, breath tools to help balance, upregulate, downregulate, clear. Um, and then I also love working with risk. So things like archery, cold exposure, um, wilderness, uh, whitewater environments, anything that gets us into our bodies in the moment can help us uh, achieve more understanding about our patterns. So you mentioned a few different things, and that was one thing that I noticed is, <clears throat> I'll call it the tools or the systems you use, are um, not something I've seen utilized before, and specifically like archery. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can explain kind of the what and the why of those different activities to kind of manage the, the state. Yeah. Well, um, first and foremost, I just, I'm a very physical person. I really um, healed through a lot of my own trauma by getting outside and, and using my body and being out in nature. And it wasn't productive for me to sit in a room and talk. I already understood what happened in my formative years. I understood the trauma stories. It was amazing to me to, to learn yoga movement to uh, learn how to backcountry ski and then um, rivers were a huge part and still are a huge part of my passion and so archery came up through challenge aspen military opportunities and through a shared mentorship a relationship with a really good friend of mine formed that um he needed the breath work and he was applying it to archery and so i became his 
breathwork coach. And in turn, I fell in love with archery and he became my archery mentor. And it was really evident really quickly that I had as much to heal from and learn as he seemed to, you know, he was seeking um, me as a coach, but it ended up that I really continued to rely on him as a coach and advisor and friend. And so together we started coaching um, Challenge Aspen Military Opportunity Retreats for combat wounded veterans. And they come for a week into the high country and we shoot and we learn to apply breath to the bow, which is just a profound tool for both survival and, you know, self-mastery. So that's been easier than say trying to get out on a kayak or <laughs> even the woods. Like you can pick up a bow in a warehouse. Yeah. And very quickly you are called to attend to your um, body mechanics, your breath, your mental state, and it's going to show you if your head's out of the game. So it comes yeah. a training tool. That's, that's awesome. I've only uh, had the opportunity to do it one time at a weekend event. And I did notice, you know, it requires a lot of attention and focus. And so it seems that it, that would make sense where you really have to focus on what you're doing, your positioning, um, and even just, I guess, your breath on being steady for a steady aim to be accurate in, in the intent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the breath is part of you know, we think of the shot as being the important moment, but really it's what you're doing before you pick up the bow. You know, it's what you're focusing on. And if you're truly present, embodied and rested and ready, then you're moved to take a great shot. It becomes more effortless. But if you're keyed up and you're nervous or you're fixated on the last shot round and how those arrows landed or didn't, um, you're, you're literally given a tool that shows you the consequences of living in even the recent past, it's over. So you got to take the information, you know, was my scope off? What we, we usually know pretty quickly what we did or didn't do, yeah. quote unquote, right? And if we're willing to use breath and embodiment as a tool to learn from our process, then the next time we go through our shot process, we get to reap the benefits of learning instead of being stuck in the story, which right. creates agitation. Yeah. And it seems, you know, a term I've been using, I don't know if it's an accurate definition, but assess versus uh, evaluate. So it's mm. like assessing is more like just, it's just information. You adjust to it and do it better the next time, rather than like you were kind of mentioning uh, the mindset element where you might be able to, <laughs> I know I'm excellent at this is self-deprecation, right? You can start to beat yourself up because I didn't do it perfect, but guess yeah. what? Yeah. Oh, there's, that's so valuable. What an important distinction, right? Whereas evaluation is really personal. And, and I'm sure with the podcast and the, the work that you do and the people that you meet, it just seems like such a cultural pattern or, or the human condition to personalize our physiology, you know, to personalize yeah. the past actions, mistakes, um, even our food, especially our food, you know, we personalize instead of learn. And the minute we make it really personal and evaluate ourselves, then we lose access to the power of the moment to actually inform a positive shift in how we behave. Um, and it's always easier to go to the mind 
and start analyzing the diet, the calories, the, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you start identifying. Yeah. You start identifying that becomes your identity rather than a supportive element to your identity, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, One of my favorite elements of archery that my coach just hammers me on, I've learned so much about this, is like the bow, like everything else, is living. It's moving all the time, just physically. The bow is not a static thing. So the tendency is like, I'll shoot for an hour and get my scope lined up just the way I like it. And now I've got a good shot group and everything's going great. So I don't want to touch the bow again. I don't want to mess it up. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to tweak the instrument, but each time you pick it up, it's a new moment. And it could have been jostled when you set it down or the light has changed. The wind has changed. Like, so it really calls you to attention, which is, I think why it's used in martial arts and throughout history as a tool for not just you know, survival, but for the mind. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned it a few times already, which is attention, but also presence in where you are. Um, and, and not, like you said, bringing the the past there or even anticipating too much of how the result of the shot or whatever the shot might be in your life, um, to just be present where it is and, and do your best at that moment. Yeah. It's a huge relief. And we carry these really strong emotions as human beings. We carry guilt, fear, and shame are like the three most painful ones. And usually in my experience, they're self-inflicted. You know, if we're guilty about something, that is an awesome opportunity to assess and make amends. And then the hard part is letting go. And if you don't let go, we're just going to keep reliving and carving behavior associated with that signature and that that information from the brain it doesn't matter if it's real or imagined the patterns of our thinking and what we're telling ourselves really impact our physiology it's bi-directional yeah so you know these kinds of practices um there's all this awesome talk about flow state we live for it there's no happier or healthier condition for the brain and the body united in present time than flow state. And to get flow state requires breath, requires embodiment, and it also requires risk. And those powerful emotions can, if we dive into them and live out of them, they make us afraid to take risks and afraid to you know, show up with presence. Um, and I think that's a radical thing. I love that in my, my own healing process to take ownership of like when I'm sticking around in emotion that I've already done what I can. And now it's really important to like get back in the flow. of life. Yeah. Yeah. I like the word ownership too, is like not being a victim of things. It's not that it didn't happen, but you can, you can push up against that. You can hedge against that and take ownership regardless of what the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit more on an intrinsic way, um, and I heard the term or even read it, resiliency coaching. Mm-hmm. So can you maybe define that a little bit? I mean, I- yeah, you know, I, I want for myself what I want for everybody, which is the opportunity to learn from life's uncertainty and pain and not be stuck in it. And resilience implies that we do what we've just been talking about, that we 
assess, gain knowledge, and then put it to use to actually evolve and adapt. And so as a resilience coach, I'm just combining, I made up that term because I realized that's what I care about and that's what I'm doing with people through a health coaching degree and a yoga degree and a breath coaching, this and that cert and life experiences and trauma informed training. It's like when you lump all that together, all I'm interested in is like how to empower me and you, how to, how to empower ourselves to stop messing around with the past and stop like building a future from anxiety and depression. Right. It's all about resilience so that we can, you know, move on and get to the important work that's being called forth in the world. Yeah. And I th- it's a strong term again, back ties to that ownership and taking action on it is, and, mm-hmm. and just the management of the stress, right. And stress isn't necessarily, at least my penny and a half is, somewhat agnostic because we need stress. It's a good thing, but too much isn't and not enough isn't, it seems. Well, uh, and it's all relative. Right. Right. So we get locked into defining the stress, work and food, nutrition stuff, sleep issues. We love defining the stress and defining the stories. I'm interested in defining capacities through a deep connection with our stress tolerance window. You know, so once we can really read and engage with our physiology, then we have access to real-time information about like how we're handling the moment. And are we gripped up into hyperarousal? Are we stuck in a story that happened 20 minutes ago? Right. And then, are, or are we laying on the couch, unable to get up, just surfing Netflix one episode after the next? None of those things are morally judged or bad. They're just what they are. And we love to get stuck in the stress. I'm this way because. Right. And I love that I work with such a diverse group of people because it just keeps reinforcing this truth that we all know inside, which is it truly isn't what happens to us. It's, it's how we respond to it. And that's why different people can have seemingly um, similar problems in life, but one can rise above them with resilience. I've always been curious about what that is, what is that thing inside of the person that can rise in the face of stress and pain and discomfort. And it's never for me been like um, through achievements. I love that your podcast is called the rest and recovery podcast because our cultural message that I grew up was, was with was, okay, if you're stuck, it's time to get moving. It's time to start achieving, tick off some boxes you know, get a degree, get a job, run a marathon, get fit, whatever. Right. And like in my practices, I've really found that, that there's something super badass about owning recovery. It's a strong skill. It's not a passive contemplative. Like I feel so good that I just want to meditate. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's always seemed reserved for people who are like just passive and Right. Way. It is like a radical um, act to deactivate intentionally. Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, the rest of recovery came from my own personal walk of exactly that, of just burning the candle on both ends. I've been excellent at that since my 20s, whether, no matter what I was pursuing. And there's nothing wrong with the pursuit. But again, having proper balance, proper context and alignment to 
what and why you're pursuing that thing Great. or achievement. Right. Fundamental to the signature of the energy you're bringing to what you're doing. Right. If yeah. your purpose isn't a deep rooted why, or if your purpose is rooted in some fear of survival, uh, you know, something I've been working a lot with in my practice that just seems to be coming up right now a lot is fear of not just failure or economic realities that are super survival based and real, but a fear of not being enough if people aren't achieving and working super hard. And right. that's where I think intentional recovery can help reframe it through the body and help rewire the brain in a way where we start to see our daily choices and actions, not just for the worth they, that we think they'll give us, but from the challenge they provide to like continue showing up as our full selves and tune into those deeper whys of like, why are you here? You don't have to go to work. You could bail on it. Yep. Where would you be? Okay. So you, you want to go to this job right now. You might want to change it later, but you want to be there. Okay. So let's change the language from I have to, I have to, to like, okay, you have an empowered choice. I get to. You get to, you're choosing to do this job right now. And I believe that when we act from that empowered place, we do rewire the brain through breathing and embodiment tools that are super tangible for anyone. You, everyone has a body that's listening to this. Everyone has their breath innately. Yeah. You know, that's I'm not going to get very far without life. a couple of minutes of breathing. Uh, yeah. If you're here right now, take a breath. Like what a gift you're here. You don't even know who gave you your body. It's such a blessing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what would be an example of someone state, you know, work when you work with someone, you know, taking them through on how they can become, I'll call it self-aware of their current state and not their desired or end state that you're trying to help them get to. So it really depends on the temperature of the person when we meet and where we are. If someone is deactivated in the parasympathetic and really lethargic and depressed and checked out, then we'll do a breath practice that's upregulating and stimulating just to get their attention, right? I'm, I'm hearing you ask, like, what do I do when I first get with people? Right. Yeah. What's right? that first so, assessment? Uh, for an assessment tool specifically, so I, I've used a couple instruments. I'm sorry, I was about to shift into breath examples of up and down regulating, but my assessment has shifted with COVID because being in person, I do a lot of hands-on work to assess diaphragm mobility, rib cage mobility. Um, I do a full health intake stress profile to understand their body, like their behavior and their body. What's going on with your um, sleep, digestion, mood, blood type. I'm, I'm a trained integrative nutrition health coach. So I love learning about what they ate as a child, hmm. um, what their daily intake looks like now, because if you just meet somebody and you just say, Hey, you're dysregulated in the depression, parasympathetic, let's upregulate. It's missing the richer story of what they're coming in with. Maybe they aren't eating or sleeping. Yeah. Um, maybe they've been through some chronic pain struggles that are 
just draining their nervous system, just constantly pinging them with stress. So I do a health intake. I do a DOS, um, depression, anxiety, and stress um, profile. That's a self-assessment. It's qualitative, but it flushes out um, pretty accurately. We use this at the neurology clinic where I partner um, to assess how people feel about their state. Um, and then a symptoms inventory that goes even deeper into um, sensory behavior, attention, learning issues, communication, self-grooming, like all the displays of behavior that can point to uh, dysregulations in state. Okay. Yeah, so the last thing I'll add there is that those are like the instruments that people fill out, but in person I'm assessing uh, resting heart rate, CO2 tolerance, um, their uh, breath profile. Do they reverse breathe? Is there a clavicular pattern? Um, how much of their diaphragm are they using? Um, are there any physical mobility limitations that I need to know about and consider in their training? Um, so yeah, we, we dive into some metrics as well. Okay. Okay. And so when you deal with the different groups, you mentioned some of the military and first responders. Are, do you see, and thank you for that kind of service. That's a huge demographic. I think that we all could use it, but it seems like a, a, one that has to deal with some uh, higher stress loads than the average person. Um, but when you deal with those different groups like that, uh, is there something unique you see or, or things that um, for the community group, uh, yes and no. Um, that's a great question. I forgot to mention breaths per minute, which is obviously an important metric to understand state and patterning um, and present time state. But in the military groups, one of the things that I noticed that's distinct from other trauma and recovery groups I work with is a sense of tribe. There is, I'm really lucky that I get to kind of be a fly on the wall to groups that are coming together to do adaptive sports camps. So they're here to play. And we integrate breath um, in a way that's playful and physiology based. We're not asking people to instantly buy in and have a yogic breath practice. It's super tangible, we make it, I think, interesting. Um, but that sense of tribe, I think, is uh, it's powerful in these retreats because they have a trust that sometimes can come faster than in other groups I work with. And there's a camaraderie and a language to it. It's like, it's powerful. The only limit there is that um, I think we as a culture tend to silo our trauma. You know, this is sexual trauma. This is military based combat trauma. This is uh, neglect and abuse trauma. This is addiction trauma. Right. They, all of those different types of things impact our physiology in really similar ways. Yeah. Cause the body doesn't know the difference between the two. Our mind might. Yeah. Just our, our, the physical chemical change in our body doesn't, if I, as I understand, is that accurate? It is. Um, the body's going to encode patterns for survival. So it's going to guard injury sites. It's going to feel unsafe around certain people if certain people have harmed you in the past. And that kind of profiling, again, is something really personal. Some people have a fear, you know, women who've been sexually traumatized in childhood have a fear of 
men that might look like their perpetrator. And it's normal to subconsciously create that. And part of the healing and resilience process is getting out of that um, profiling, which is such a sensitive topic right now with racial injustices and racial profiling. And it's like speaking to the limbic system on that, understanding that our brains are wired to keep us safe and will learn from past terrible events. And that information is not always true. It's sometimes true. It was true once, you know, but it's part of trauma is we've become very binary in our thinking, good, bad, right, wrong, black, white, masks, no masks, Republican, Democrat, we get really binary for our own survival. So when we learn how to regulate state and get our minds wired to our bodies again, we access logic, empathy, compassion, reasoning. So in all of these groups, no matter what their past is, the goal is empowering people to engage with their body and mind in real time. I keep saying body and mind just because that's our language, right? Engage with themselves in real time to access broader, more intelligent resources in the moment so they can actually come from their higher truth. I think a lot of our reactions aren't coming from a high place. Yeah. Yeah. They, they come from that labeling probably like you kind of mentioned of like, or, you know, the self accusation of identity. Yeah. In in something that that's not really your identity. It's just what happened. It's just what happened. And it's a block, I think, and this is very presumptuous. So I'll say this with caution. I've never served in the military. I don't come from an active military family. I have no idea what that would be like to receive home or to come home after being deployed in combat. But with the various trauma groups I've worked with, I'm aware of a potential limitation of siloing yourself. Mm -hmm. Saying like, no one understands me because I've been through this thing that they haven't. And I think that that is sometimes a limit for all of us when we really self-identify with our pain. And with the military, it's so true. Like, we don't get it if we haven't been there. Yeah, so there's the relatability. Them having a group together to heal through. But there's also part of my um, task, I feel like, and I hope it's helpful, is empowering the humanity of it all so that you know, especially in a family dynamic where the couple is not, they're not both active duty, that a civilian partner and a an retired or active military member can come back together between deployment or in retirement and see their humanity and understand that like, I'll never know what you've been through in both directions. Right, <laughs> you know? right. And so where can we go now? What's activated now that we can breathe through and get home to our realities in with our full selves instead of our reactivity? Yeah. There's, there's more common connection than we realize, but I think those, those differences tend to block our thinking maybe in how if you're in, it's a trauma related or experiential, you know, you can't relate. I can't relate to, like you said, military or, someone of a different ethnicity, but some of the emotional engagements you might be able to connect on, right? Yeah. Um, like you were saying, well, the physiology really is similar. Listen, you yeah. know, it requires that humility to go, I really honestly don't know. Even if we spent 
a lifetime from here forward. And you shared with me details I, I can't know. Yeah. And that's a form of respect, you know, to, to say it really is yours and I respect you for it. I won't, I won't presume to know your answer because I can't even know your problem. Right. Yeah, I, can, I don't know is a valid answer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But where do you feel it in your body right now? Right. Where is there resistance? Because that's, for me, that's probably why I got into this work is like, just through being humbled to my knees by the human experience and thinking, well, how, what can I do? Well, I, I can breathe and I can come to my own truth about this moment. And I can learn as much as I can to, to help other people get there too. So, um, what are some of that you had mentioned, you know, with the current C-19 or COVID stuff going on, you know, the access channels to work with people are a little different now, but what are some of the ways that you through intrinsic way and you mentioned a, a clinic, uh, to help folks, what are some of those channels? And so this course was kind of created with that muse in mind of the many people that have said, I just want to do this now from home in Detroit and LA and Houston and wherever I live. So the skill of stress online, I was really lucky to get to work with those guys who are just masterful and Rob mentored me through um, creating a more predictive style teaching. That's the nature of online learning, right? It's got to be uh, predictive and simple and tangible and principled. So that course is um, through shift adapt com and then through intrinsic directly i'm doing a lot of private coaching that's really fulfilling uh, some of those are groups and most recently with lesma the limbless veterans in the uk we had such an incredible training opportunity that was really born out of their coming to colorado for adaptive ski camps with challenge aspen and we always just connected and this group awesome. is super special to me so they reached out and We did a six-week intrinsic training that was all about the skill of stress principles, but applied for amputees. And I'm an adaptive yoga instructor, so I have a lot of principles that I can share that relate to breath and chronic pain and processing trauma. And that group was just surprisingly um, engaged and lively for being overseas on Zoom. It was incredible. And encouraging for me as a teacher right now that like, yeah. oh, this is going to work. So, um, so I work there. I work from my studio where we're sitting now, where I'm sitting in Carbondale, Colorado. Um, and I work at Four Winds Farm, which is a trauma recovery center. And I'm there one day a week. Um, and the neurology clinic has been closed since the outset. Dr. Brooke Allen was one of the most badass leaders in our community when it came to covid She was so on her game before the county had enforced certain um, standards around care and security. She she treats a lot of autoimmune conditions like MS and does infusions at the neurology clinic. So I'm not currently there, but when things open up again, I see patients there um, and right now just through private consult. Okay, awesome. I'm such a rambler. Just, just... No. Pull the string and I will chat. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is great. I think it's uh, what you're doing um, is an important uh, 
teaching I'll say, because at the end of the day, we all have stress and we all have experiences and need to figure out how to improve the quality of our life by managing those things for lack of a better term, better uh, so that we can kind of work through it, understand it, acknowledge it, and then be on the other side of that. It seems at least that's my opinion to have. I'm appreciative of, of what you're doing, the mission behind that and working with trauma patients in varying experiences. So uh, no rambling here. Thank you. Well, it's very, very integrative when I do find doctors that support this kind of work. It's really empowering of patients to realize that they have a tremendous amount of agency over health outcomes by applying not just breath as an instrument, but the awareness that breath reinforces about our response to different treatments, about our choices. It gives us our voice. I know it's a lot to put on the breath, but what else is there? You know, breath is literally what animates the body. And so once we start employing that on a regular basis, our options widen for our care and for making use of pain and stress. Right, right, yeah. So what I generally do is end with a few personal questions, nothing too strenuous. Bring it, that's okay, I'm an open book. What, speaking of, what are you reading right now? That's a good question. Um, I picked up the book Alive, which is like, you know, one I've read years ago, but my son is 13 and he's all about uh, fear and terror. Go figure with the world the way it is right now. He, and I get it, you know, he wants to understand how dark it can get. And so I'm helping process that with him. And he's into Stephen King. We just picked up the book Alive. Um, I, I'm always interested in reading more, but right now I'm reading a lot of research papers that aren't fiction. Um, I'm leaning into some research on breath and hormones, um, going back into the trauma recovery stuff with uh, Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score is one that I always have near my desk. And the other one that's always near me is um, Thomas Hanna, who is a profound influencer on the somatic healing field and he has a book that is called i'm gonna botch it do you have show notes i can send it i to do you yeah we can just put it in the notes if you want to send it afterwards Mind blowing. it's like under an inch thick and it, it um if anybody out there is into functional movement or understanding the body mind connection mm-hmm. he's all about pioneering our understanding of somatic um self-sensing self-organizing and how our bodies reflect stress patterns in movement and how we can participate in, in unwinding those patterns with breath and, and certain movement patterns. So interesting. Yeah. Thomas Hanna. He's cool. amazing. Um, what are you listening to right now? Music or podcast? So I went through a big reggae phase again because I'm so <laughs> happy, <laughs> you know, and I've about worn out my Chris Stapleton channel on Spotify. Um, I got back into the Grateful Dead live channel. Um, so when I'm cleaning the kitchen or whatever, I, I just love to move and be moved by music. It's a huge part of my life. Yeah. So I have a really broad palette, you know, all the way to Rage Against the Machine and like 90s Nirvana, Chili Peppers, 
Um, another thing I love to do with my son is make playlists and uh, send them to each other. And they're hilarious. Yeah, that's fun. I'm glad he's out of uh, top 40 phase. when he's <laughs> He went there for a brief moment, but we steered him. Um, a little more depth to his understanding of music. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And final question. What is your go-to rest and recovery method? Nidra. Yoga Nidra. You know, it's really um, the breath work that I teach. I love waterfall practices. I love lengthening the exhale and just using a weighted blanket uh, to be in a supine somatic shape to just let my body, you know, really magnetically release into the floor, just like the dogs do and the horses once in a while. You got to lay down and dissipate into the earth, let your energy get grounded. But yoga nidra means divine sleep or enlightened sleep. And do you practice yoga nidra? No, I I was going to ask you, I'm not familiar with that version of yoga. I'm I'm a novice at best at yoga. Oh, I'm so happy we're talking about this. This this will really match with what you're doing. Um, So yoga nidra walks you through. There's a, a voice. It's a download or it's taught in person. It takes the teacher's ego out of it, but it is important that you like the teacher's voice. Otherwise, you'll be thinking about that, how annoying their accent is or their inflections. But if you can live with the voice and it's soothing and works for you, the narrator goes through a systemic process of naming body parts. It usually takes about 20 minutes long. There's an entry phase where you scan the body, then you set an active intention And I teach that with neuroplasticity principles. So I've upgraded what I learned from Yoga Nidra and added modern neuroplasticity to it to help with the process of rewiring um, limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. And then you take that, it's called a sankalpa or a a clear intention. And you, you kind of plant that into the practice and then the narrator goes through body parts. And at first you're like, this is so boring. And that's good because what it's doing is pulling your brain from beta gamma waves, processing, learning, and stress into alpha theta daydreamy waves where you start to lose track of the narrator's voice and you slip into a state that's never meant to be full sleep. You're in a semi-conscious sleep state that studies have shown is equivalent when you're really deep into yoga nidra theta state, it's equivalent to a couple of hours of actual sleep really in a 20 minute practice wow and i'd be happy to send you some research on that and some links it's a profound way to help people get out of their heads and drop into the kind of recovery that's very different than watching a movie or reading a book it's like turning information into embodied knowledge And what we talked about earlier, it's like the way to relax into your confidence and into your power and kind of unhook yourself from the drama that's going on up above the waves is how I like to think of it. You know, there's a boat on the surface that's getting rocked by your thoughts and your life and your stories. Right. Breath work can take you just below that. So can meditation. And you can still see the boat and sense the storms. Nidra takes you to the bottom of the ocean where you rest on the sand but pretend you have a, a regulator so you can breathe. 
<laughs> you have a water fear, that analogy yeah. doesn't work well. No, that's a good visual. That's interesting. I've not, yeah, that's, um, that's new to me, but I can definitely relate to the need to turn the brain off. Uh, as it seems like it's just running a hundred miles an hour all the time. And, um, one of the key tenants for me personally is to how I got down this path and even initiated this, the, the podcast was like trying to figure out sleep and, um, turning the brain off is one key thing. So that, I'd definitely be interested to learn that. Yeah. Nidra is different. It's really different. And I'll tell you one more thing about it, that, um, meditation is such a tall order to ask of any of us. It is seventh to the last on the tree of yoga. It's like right before enlightenment, <laughs> you know, meditation is such a high quality of single pointed focus in the mind. And there's a reason that movement and breath and concentration and other limbs of yoga come before meditation. Yoga Nidra is a physical practice and it's something that you do that is easier than meditation because what you do is you lie there. <laughs> you lay on your back and you just listen to the narration. And the last piece I really wanted to share is that when you're in the state of enlightened sleep or semi-conscious theta state, you have access to your story from a different place within your brain and yourself. And it's almost like you can relate to it differently. You untether from the pain and the drama that might be present, even the day-to-day -day junk that we're all dealing with. Yeah. And you have this sense of calm confidence that returns you to that place, that room that all these practices are trying to get into like oh yeah i'm i'm all good just the way i am and in this moment right now right if we can remember that then everything shifts yeah perspective different perspective on it mm -hmm. well emily uh again i'm grateful for your time and for what you're doing and uh i've learned a lot today and, and i'm sure everyone listening has as well some new practices on how to you know better manage our days so that it ends well uh, and that we can live well. So again, thank you for the time and everything you do. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you for listening to the conversation with Emily. It was super encouraging. Hope you're encouraged with it. Uh, this, the type of work that she's doing uh, with stress management with uh, those in the military, uh, both within the U.S. and internationally, as mentioned, based on the organizations she's working with in Challenge Aspen and Blesma. Um, and if you're interested, check out her course she mentioned is Skill of Stress, and that's at the Shift Adapt website. So shiftadapt.com, and you can check out her Skill of Stress course um, Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with those who can use this wonderful information. Thank you. Be rested. Be well.